Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys and reconnect with some of you since I've been gone. And good morning, teenagers. Glad to see you guys. I heard yesterday we had 55 teenagers here for our retreat, and that is run entirely by volunteers. That's, inc- that's unheard of. That's really incredible. So I'm glad you guys are here. I hope you're here every week. If you're not already at another church, okay? We'd love to have you back. Um, and, and if you are new here, thank you for joining us. I hope to, to get to know you. And, and my name is Dan, and I'm uh, the lead pastor here. Just thankful to be here to worship the Lord together with you this morning. <clears throat> like many of you, I was shocked uh, this past Monday morning to hear about the uh, horrific shooting that happened in Las Vegas. And uh, as the police and news agencies release more and more photos and videos and information about the situation, it, it just makes me sick to my stomach. I don't know if you feel that way too. Uh, it's, it's shocking to hear about shootings like these, and, and it's just kind of another reminder that just kind of drops your jaw uh, and reminds us of the power of evil and the presence of evil in our world. And I was talking with my wife Cindy about it this week, and you know, I told her, I said, I, I do not know how people without faith in Jesus make it. I, how do families and friends of the dead keep living life without faith in God, without hope for life after death? And it reminded me of this verse in Hebrews, chapter two, verses 14 to 15. It says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, Likewise, partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So this passage says that that Jesus came to free us from the devil and from death, because apart from Jesus, every human is a slave to the devil and to death, and is a slave to the fear of death. And so when I hear about a tragedy like what happened in Las Vegas, I I ask myself, how do faithless people have the courage to go into public anymore? How, I mean, with no safe places anymore, how does the person afraid of dying go to movies and go to concerts and fairs and malls And anywhere people are gathered, anywhere they could be killed. At times like these, what all of us need is we need a real hope. Hope. Okay? A hope that is not just wishful thinking or happy thoughts or trying to convince ourselves things are okay when they're really not. What we really need is a hope that's grounded in reality. A hope that stands the tests of time, a hope that will not leave us when our world is falling apart. In our world around us, it needs to know this, that the light of God's salvation has already broken into this present darkness in order to give us this kind of rock-solid hope that does not tremble even when we do. Okay? And this hope that we have is that God has come, that he has come into the dark in the world 
uh, in this world of darkness in the person of Jesus Christ. And it is in Jesus' own death that he became our sin. He became the darkness. He became our evil. And he was punished on a cross in our place to forgive us of that, to forgive us for those evils. He was punished in order to purify us in God's sight. It doesn't matter if we think we're evil or not. The question is, does God think we're evil or not? And he says we are. Jesus came to purify us from that evil so that we're not evil anymore in God's sight in Christ. And Jesus died on the cross in order to to make us friends with God again so that we're not enemies of God. We're friends with God again. And this hope that we have uh, is that after Jesus was killed as our substitute, he was buried in a tomb for three days. And after those three days, Jesus rose back from the dead. He rose back with supernatural, divine power and glory, just like he had said he would do. And Jesus shouts this to us. Okay, this is what he's declaring. This is what his glory is declaring to this world right now. That to everybody who turns away from their evil and turns to him alone and trusts in him alone, Jesus takes them and he unites them to what he did on the cross and in his resurrection. He unites them to himself so that all who trust in Jesus have defeated death because Jesus defeated death. Okay? And so the person who trusts in Jesus has a real hope, a hope that is grounded in reality, a, root, a hope that, is, that has and will continue to stand the tests of time and eternity. It's a hope that will not leave us when our world is falling apart. This is the hope of Jesus Christ. And it is what all of us need. It's what we need in order to enjoy death-defeating joy, okay? It's what we need in order to enjoy death-defeating hope that God gives to us in Christ Jesus for our blessing and for the glory of God's name, okay? So as we start the book of Acts today, we gotta understand this, that none of the Acts of the Apostles would have happened without this hoping God that is rooted in the historical death and resurrection of Jesus, Okay? Without the death and resurrection of Jesus, the 12 apostles would have stayed in hiding and locked up in their homes in fear of persecution and death, just like we saw them doing in John until they saw the resurrected Jesus. Without the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit doesn't come to earth. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there are no miracles, there is no church, there is no real hope for purpose in this life, there is no salvation from sin. There is no friendship with God or life after death without the death and resurrection of Christ. This is so vital to our faith that the writer of the book of Acts starts by essentially saying, you guys, this account is true. This is how he starts it. He says, this is true. These events really happened. Jesus really rose from the dead. The grounds for hope in Jesus are real and trustworthy and verifiable. Now, uh, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter one. We're gonna be in verses one to five. We have been having some issues with, with technology today, so don't 
count on that happen, hap, uh, working today. I was, it's just things work all week, and then Sunday morning it goes haywire. Um, that's just how it is. So, if you got your phone or a hard copy of the Bible, open up to Acts 1. Acts is a book in the New Testament of the Bible. It's right after the Gospel of John. And if you have trouble finding it, there should be a table of contents in the front of your Bible where it should list the page number. But I realize that we kind of come this morning uh, together from a lot of different places. And so... Um, I want to recognize that. I know some of you have been working last night. You came here, you're tired. Uh, some of you are just going through hard times. I know that. Some of you have loved ones in the hospital right now and your minds are elsewhere. So what I want us to do is just pray together before we read this and ask God to help us and to, to speak to us and to focus on what he has for us in his word right now. So let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Father and Son Jesus and Holy Spirit, uh, we lift up to you first the, uh, the family and loved ones of all the people killed in Las Vegas. Uh, we think of them now. We pray for those who are still in the hospital. We pray that you would give them help and grace and healing and hope. That you would be with them in a special way that they might see your glory and that they might glorify your name even through this tragedy. Uh, we also pray for those in our church family who are sick and in poor health right now. Some people who may be aware that their passing is near. We ask that uh, the presence of your spirit and the truth of your word and the love of this church would fill them with peace and hope in you. Lord, we also pray for our family and friends and neighbors and coworkers who do not trust in you for eternal hope and salvation. And for those here who may not trust in you yet, we ask that you would please move in their lives with power, that you would use the message of your good news to make them born again. Please take off the blinders of the eyes of our hearts that Satan put on, that prevent people from seeing you as glorious, that prevent them from knowing you we pray that you would work in their lives and allow them to trust you and turn from sin and rejoice in you and your salvation. And God, as we read your holy word today, we, we ask that you would work in and among us. Please keep our minds from distractions. Help us to stay awake. Help us to stay alert to this message that you have for us. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would not only teach our minds, but that you would teach our hearts teach our spirits to see your glory and to give ourselves entirely to you. Please give us power to turn from our sin. Please give us power to, um, to worship you. Please shape us into the likeness of Jesus so that we can bring you more glory and help us to love you and help us to love one another. We pray this in your name for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Acts 1, 1 to 5. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach 
until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is God's word. And this is how Luke starts his account. Luke wrote this book to give us an accurate, detailed, historical account of the main events that happened in the lives of the early church, the first Christians. And he wrote Acts very shortly after these events happened. Okay, this was out for circulation long before 100 AD. And Luke himself was not one of the eyewitnesses to Jesus' death and resurrection, but he knew the eyewitnesses. And he went around and he gathered information and he, he talked to these people who lived and walked with Jesus. And um, he, he, he asked them about his ministry and his teachings and his death and resurrection. And he compiled all of that information and presented his findings to this man that he calls Theophilus in the first verse. And Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke, okay? Luke and Acts go together. A lot of times uh, we call it Luke-Acts. They just go together. Um, and that book also starts with a dedication to Theophilus. So let me read that real quick. The Gospel of Luke begins with this. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Okay? So we know that Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts for this this person named Theophilus. Some people suggest Theophilus was not a person, but it was a name for the church, uh, since the name Theophilus means dear to God. Uh, but it's, it's very likely also that Theophilus was a real person. He was a real man who may have belonged to the upper class, since he uses this title, uh, Most Excellent Theophilus, which is how we see in the New Testament um, them uh, addressing people high in society. Um, and so it's possible Theophilus was uh, in the upper class of the Roman Empire, and he might have been a man who wanted to learn more about Jesus and his followers. And as for Luke, the writer, we know that he was a close friend to and co-worker with the Apostle Paul. Uh, Luke is written about in other places in the New Testament. He, he was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. And Paul calls Luke the beloved physician in Colossians 4.14. Luke was an excellent writer, historian, investigator, and, and having already written the Gospel of Luke about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, Luke is very capable and, um, to write on what happened after those events. And so, here in the first chapter of Acts, Luke describes the events that happened after Jesus' resurrection and before the coming of the Holy Spirit that happened on a day called Pentecost. So that's the pocket of time 
that Acts 1 happens, after the resurrection and the appearances and, and before the coming of the Holy Spirit. And Acts chapter 1 describes these four events in this order. It's, uh, if you were to look, kind of do an outline of Acts 1, it would be the gospel of Jesus Christ, the mission of Jesus Christ, the ascension of Jesus Christ, and the apostles of Jesus Christ. Those four, four categories. So each of those four parts describe what Jesus was doing to prepare his followers for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to look at that first part, just that first part of chapter 1, in which Luke describes the gospel or good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, Luke recounts, he says, what Jesus did in his life and death and resurrection, and then in his resurrection appearances to his followers. So let's, let's read it one more time at Acts 1, verses 1 to 3. Luke writes, in the first book, he's talking about the gospel of Luke there, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Luke crams a lot into that, right? Into those two sentences. And the sequence of events, at least for me, was a little hard to follow. And so I want to reorganize them a little bit in, into chronological order, or the order in which they happened. Luke says that these four main events happened. Okay, he says this. All that Jesus began to do and teach. That's what he's written about. Uh, secondly, Jesus presented himself alive to the apostles after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And third, Jesus had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And then fourth, the day when Jesus was taken up. That's kind of order it happened. And so here, Luke summarizes what he wrote in the Gospel of Luke, and he does it for a couple of reasons here. First of all, he's, he's using this as a bridge, right, obviously, to make a smooth transition between Luke and Acts for the readers. But second, and more importantly, Luke is sharing the central tenets of the gospel of Jesus, which is the foundation upon which all of Acts and Christianity is founded. Okay? We, get this. Without the gospel events recorded in verses 1 to 3, there is no Christianity. Okay? That's how important these verses are. So let's look at these one at a time. First, Luke says that He's written about everything or all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So, what does that include? Well, it would include Jesus' main events uh, of his life, like his, of his physical life on earth, like his birth and his childhood, Luke writes about, uh, his baptism, uh, his healings, the signs and wonders that he performs, his teachings, his parables that Jesus uh, gives to us. Uh, Luke recounts uh, Jesus' trial, Jesus' flogging, his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection. And, and notice this, that Luke says <clears throat> that this is what Jesus was beginning to do on earth. That's cool. It means that everything that came after that, from Jesus' resurrection appearances to the coming of the Holy Spirit to the conversion of Paul to the miracles of the disciples to everything we're going to read in Acts, those were all the works of Jesus too. So even though Jesus is no longer with his followers in the flesh, all of the works of the Holy Spirit are Jesus' works. Because the Holy Spirit is Jesus' Holy Spirit. Okay? God is 
One God and three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Second, Luke writes that Jesus presented himself alive to the apostles after his suffering by many proofs. Appearing to the apostles during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So, Jesus presented himself alive to the apostles. Luke does not say that the apostles presented Jesus alive. So, Jesus presented himself alive. That means this wasn't like an ancient rendition of, of that movie, Weekend at Bernie's. I don't remember if you remember that, where, where Bernie is dead and his friends dress him up and push him around in a wheelchair to try to fool everybody into thinking he's still alive. Okay, that is not what this is. Um, Jesus, without the company or assistance of anybody, raised himself back to life from the dead by the power of God, and he presented himself to the apostles. And remember that Jesus did this. He rose himself up from the dead. It was only three days after. After he had been chained and whipped and flogged and stabbed and hung on the cross to die. So this is the sort of physical trauma that would take months and months for a strong, healthy man to recover from if he were to recover from it. This isn't the kind of thing you recover from in three days. But Jesus, in his glorified body, in his resurrected body, presented himself to his apostles, and they, they, they freaked. They rightfully freaked out when they saw him. And Jesus says this. He says, you guys, I'm hungry. You got anything to eat? That's what he says, literally. That's what it says. I'm hungry. What do you have to eat? And Luke writes then that over the course of the next 40 days, Jesus came and went from them. He disappeared and he reappeared to his followers in his physical body. And, and Jesus offered them many proofs that was really him. He, he, he talked to them. It says he walked with them. He ate with them. He fed them food. He let them touch the scars in his hands and the mark in his side where he was stabbed. And those proofs were were so important for those apostles to witness, to see, because seeing and believing Jesus in that resurrection body was the catalyst that took the disciples from fear to faith. It was the catalyst that propelled out this group of nobodies into the Roman Empire to testify to what they had seen and experienced, this movement by the Holy Spirit that would go to all the ends of the earth. And I don't know if this video is going to work, but we can, we'll, do you want to give it a shot or no, Tamara? Okay, we'll give it a shot. Um, I've shown this in church before. I love it, and so you're going to have to deal with that and see it again. Um, it's a short video um, by this guy I really like. His name is Peter Williams. He's a professor at Cambridge who just explains briefly some of the reasons why we can believe that Jesus really rose from the dead. So let's see if this works. We'll get in a minute. We'll see if this works. Okay. And if it doesn't work, that's okay. And I, I will add this while we're waiting. As interested as I am in the historical trustworthiness of the Bible, and, and I think it's important that all of us have a rational understanding of Christianity, ultimately that cannot give us faith. 
Ultimately, what we need for God to do is to, the Bible puts it, is to teach us, is to give us faith. Because I've had conversations with people who say, well, if you just had a little more evidence, if I just seen this, then I would believe. And the Bible just really says, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't believe if you saw more evidence. And there were people who saw Jesus risen from the dead who did not believe. And so I, I think it's really important for us to know um, I guess I'm trying to counter a little bit what is taught in a lot of our schools and that's out there in our society that the Bible is not trustworthy when it really is. And if we can't trust the Bible, you can't trust any of history. That's how reliable the Bible is. Um, and so <clears throat> that's my filler. <laughs> is it not going to work? Doing great. Let me keep going, and if there's a place I can fit it in, I'll fit it, okay? But I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep moving. Um, this is what we know, you guys, that Jesus rose from the dead, he presented himself to the apostles, and he gave many proofs that he was real. And before Jesus died, earlier in his ministry, when he was talking to this guy, Nicodemus, he said this, that God so loved the world, you guys know it, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Those, you need to know this, are not the words of a dead person, okay? That is a promise of God who came in the flesh, who took on our sins, who died, who rose again, and who is alive right now, okay? That is why we have a real hope for our friendship with God, for our righteousness before God, for life after death and a hope that says, you know what? This is the truth. If I go out and die today, if I'm in Christ, I'm okay. I love this song. I heard this song this week by this guy named Andrew Peterson and it's called Lay Me Down. I love this song and the chorus says, just tell my kids, I'm gonna miss them. But when they lay me down, they're laying me down to live. At my funeral, that's what I want them to know. They're laying me down to live. I'm not living down, they're not laying me down to just be in the ground. They're laying me down to life. That's, that's so cool, and that's where our hope is in Christ. And then Luke says this at the end of Acts 1-3, that, that in addition to appearing to his disciples and his resurrection body over the course of 40 days, Jesus continued to teach the disciples about, and he uses this phrase, the kingdom of God. And that means that Jesus continued to teach them, okay? He, get this. He wasn't done teaching them. He continued to teach them in his resurrection body why it was such good news for them that he was alive and why it was such good news that their sins were forgiven by God because this wasn't, we, keep in mind the New Testament hadn't been written yet. Okay, we get more clarity here. He was teaching them then um, much of what we have in the New Testament now. But Jesus continued to teach them about how the Old Testament scriptures prophesied about him, about how the the laws of the prophets are fulfilled in him. Jesus continued to teach the apostles what it meant that his kingdom of salvation, this is what it means that the kingdom is near, that Jesus always said, that, that he is the king and that he has broken into humanity in a brand new way through his life and death and resurrection and that with the coming of the Holy Spirit, God's kingdom is going to be propelled to the ends of the world with power in a way this world has never seen. That's what he's going to teach them, okay? 
And so what we see here in the first three verses of Acts is that it was really important to Jesus that he did this. That, uh, it was really important that before the apostles took the message of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, to the ends of the earth, that they first correctly understand the gospel. Okay? This is why after his resurrection, he spent time teaching them. And he, he wanted the apostles or... Um, he wanted the apostles to have correct teaching or doctrine, okay? That's why Paul talks about teach sound doctrine. You need to have correct teaching. It doesn't matter, what good does it do if we're teaching other people about Jesus, but what, if what we say doesn't align with the Bible, right? That's not sound doctrine. And so as Luke begins the book of Acts, he starts by sharing this sound doctrine, and he wants the readers of the book, you and me, to know the truth about Jesus so that we will understand it, so we'll believe it, and so that as Jesus' ambassadors, we will pass it along to others correctly and accurately. Think about what's happening here in Acts. And if you've read Acts, you know it's, it's pretty awesome. Luke is about to tell us some astonishing things that God did in the early church. Luke is going to describe amazing signs and wonders that God performed in the sight of Christians and in the sight of non-Christians. Luke is going to recount the unprecedented and awesome ways that God manifested himself to Christians. And the book of Acts tells us many ways that Christians experienced this power, the way they experienced this power of the Holy Spirit. Now, get, hear me closely. Luke writes... His, begins Acts with this teaching on the gospel because he does not want his readers to think that following Jesus is founded upon a person's subjective experience of God. Okay? Knowing Jesus, knowing his power in your life is wonderful, but it's not founded on your emotional experience of him. Okay? God can certainly meet us in our emotions. He can meet us in our existential experiences. And those experiences can certainly give us emotional highs. However, the gospel of God is not founded on those things. The gospel of God is founded on Jesus, on his perfect life, on his substitutionary death, on his glorious resurrection. The gospel is founded upon history, a real historical event which God put on human flesh 2,000 years ago and was punished for the sin of people so that they would be forgiven and have eternal life with God through faith. And all of the ways that the apostles and the early church would later see and experience the power of God came as the result of the foundation, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus. So, so Luke, he grounds us, his readers, in the finished work, the finished gospel work of Jesus, before describing all these amazing events that happened because of that finished work. So let me give three reasons why correct gospel teaching matters to us today. Why does this matter to us today? Well, first, we must be grounded in correct gospel teaching because demons attack correct gospel teaching. Okay? Our universe and our world is filled with invisible powers filled with both good and evil, invisible powers. Demons, which the Bible talks about, are angels that rebelled against God. 
And the Bible says that they now work with Satan to deceive humanity in order to rob God of the glory that God is due and in order to take us to hell for eternity with Satan. That's what the demons are trying to do, okay? Demons know that if they can warp this message, this gospel message, this sound doctrine, then it will not be preached faithfully and accurately to the world that needs to hear it. Demons know that if they can pull away, if they can pull you and me away from the Bible, if they can pull us away from the belief that God's word is truth, then they can lead men and women away from Jesus and the message of his salvation. Demons know that if they can lead people to worship false gods, or if they can get people to believe that they must do something to earn God's love, then, then they will be lost for good. So let's counter that with the correct teaching of the gospel, and that is that God forgives and grants eternal life to anyone who trusts in Jesus' finished work on their behalf. You and I add nothing to the gospel of grace, okay? We add nothing to it. It is a gospel which God freely gives to us because of his great love for us and for the glory of his name. That's good news. And demons will do anything they can to pull you and me away from that simple message that even a child can understand. Second, we must be grounded in correct gospel teaching so that our emotions, our emotions do not lead us astray. God created us with emotions, right? The the ability to feel elated or sad, um, surprised, disgusted, angry, or in love. Okay, just if you look at your phone, you'll see all these emojis or emoticons on your phone that represent a number of feelings that humans feel. Our phones are providing emoticons to help us describe how we are feeling at any given time. And our emotions change, but God doesn't change, okay? The finished work of Jesus to save sinners doesn't change. And if you are here today and you are just down in the dumps, then I, am tr- I really am sorry for you today. Um, but I want you to know this, that what you are feeling does not change the fact that God loves you. And it doesn't change the fact that he's with you, because he promised he is. And it doesn't change the fact that he already sacrificed his very life in order to free you from eternal brokenness. If you are in Christ, which you guys have been talking about this weekend, teenagers, if you are in Christ, then your foundation is on the work of Jesus, not on your feelings, okay? God knows what you're feeling. I'm thankful God is a feeling God. That he is grieved by the brokenness that we feel and experience. And God guarantees you, Christian, that your sadness will not have the last word. Do you hear me? Your sadness will not have the last word. Your brokenness does not have the last word. Jesus has the last word. And he will turn your sorrow into dancing either in this life or in the next, okay? And that guarantee, listen, that promise is as good as the blood of Jesus is powerful. Okay? That's what the promise 
is rooted in, the blood of Jesus. And sometimes, you know, sometimes our feelings will lead us to, they lead us astray, right? By getting us to disobey God instead of to obey God. We do things in the heat of the moment out of anger, out of lust, rather driving emotions that, that are wrong and, and sinful. We do things because we submit to them instead of to God. And, and God, I'm thankful, he gives us a game plan for how to deal with that. He tells us, confess that sin. That's the sin I died for. Confess that sin. That's the sin that's forgiven. So that when we do that, we again turn away from it, turn to Jesus, believe we are forgiven, we are purified in Christ, we are loved by God, and that God hasn't abandoned us. And that it's all about Jesus, not about us. I mean, how often do we do this? How often do we, do we not do what God tells us to do in Scripture because it doesn't feel good to us? Right? All of us. I, I don't, I don't want to humble myself and get right with my brother in Christ because that doesn't feel good. It doesn't. So instead, I'm going to sweep it under the carpet and just feel bitter and angry all the time because that feels so much better. Right? I, I don't want to, to follow God where he's calling me to go because that's scary. And so instead of obeying God and trusting him, I box myself in. I feel scared and ashamed as a result, because I'm disobeying God. You know, I, I, I don't want to limit my sexuality to God's design for my sexuality because that doesn't feel good to me. I'd rather follow my lust. I'd rather do what my body tells me to do. That must be what is truth, whatever my body says. I'd rather listen to the world and my body instead of listening to God. And thankfully, you guys, because we are so prone to do this, we're so prone to sin against God and one another by surrendering to our emotions instead of surrendering to him, this is why Jesus died for us. He rose again and his spirit entered those of us who believe in him so that we now have God's power working in us to turn away from these things, to turn away from it, to trust Jesus and to learn to follow him more and more each day. So God and his gospel are not founded upon our changing emotions. As adopted children of God who are capable of the whole experience, the whole gamut of human emotions, we stand, we sit, we lay down upon the concrete foundation like this floor. The foundation is the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. And that doesn't change. Now, the third reason why correct gospel teaching matters to us today is because our faith cannot be separated, cannot be separated from Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. D.A. Carson explains it this way. I'd never really thought of it this way. That Christianity is the only faith system which rests entirely on its founder. Okay? There is no gospel without Jesus. There's no good news without the resurrected Jesus. Uh, there is no good news if Jesus wasn't really God. There's no good news unless Jesus truly lived a life without sin. That's essential. There's no good news for you and for me unless Julie, uh, not Julie, unless Jesus, I think highly of you, Julie, but <laughs> Jesus is way up there, okay? He's in his own category. Um, there's no good news 
for you and me unless Jesus truly paid for the sin, unless he truly came back from it and rose again. And so all of our hope rests on these facts. And that's why the Apostle Paul said that if Jesus didn't, this is what Paul said, if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, then Christians are to be pitied among all people. We're, we're to be pitied. Because we had no good news to tell if Jesus didn't accomplish what we believe he accomplished. Now, every other main religion of the world works differently. Those religions still work without their human founders. Okay? If Muhammad never existed, the faith system of the Muslims doesn't fall apart. They can still believe Allah is God and that if you follow the five pillars of their faith and do good works, then you might be able to save yourself after this life. If Buddha never existed, the Buddhist system can still work. It, it, it teaches that if you follow Buddha's teaching and through your works, you have a chance of ending, ending uh, the suffering that you experience in this world. You have a chance. Uh, that Buddhists believe in karma and that if you just work really hard to be good, then you can be sure good things are coming for you. And eventually, the, go the goal is hopefully you will cease to exist. You won't experience suffering anymore. If Joseph Smith never existed, then the Mormons can still follow the Book of Mormon. They can still follow their prophets who alter their beliefs. They can still believe that if they jump through the right hoops and do the right things, then God might save them after this life and give them their own planet to rule over. You see, all works-based religions can continue to work without their founder because those religions teach that salvation is based upon a person's works and not upon the founder of their religion. And that message is complete opposite of what we believe. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. He said, without the shedding of my blood, your sins are not forgiven. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, the finished work of Jesus. So Christians, we, 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 we must read the Bible. We must <clears throat> learn and believe and pass on the true, pure gospel or teaching uh, the, the, the teaching of the gospel, pure doctrine. We must hold to the doctrine that God's salvation is by God's grace alone through faith alone in Jesus. That's an essential. <clears throat> we must believe and teach that Jesus really died for us. And unless that happened, there is no hope. Our faith rests on the truth. It rests on this, that God loves us so much that he took away the sins of his people by dying for them so that they could be united to him through faith and enjoy everlasting life with him. Jesus wants you to understand this truth. Luke, in writing Acts, wants you to understand this truth. And I want us to understand and celebrate this truth too. And so this is why Luke begins Acts by grounding us in the truth of the good news of Jesus. And this sets the foundation for what will happen in Acts. He describes what is to come in verses four to five. Let's just finish off looking at those. Luke writes, and while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
So now that the apostles had, had regathered in Jerusalem, Jesus tells them to stay there and to wait for the Holy Spirit. And remember that in one of his resurrection appearances to the apostles, Jesus breathed on them. Remember that? We talked about it in John. He breathed on them the Holy Spirit. He gave them this foretaste of what was to come. And Jesus reminded them that just as John the Baptist baptized people with water, so also the Lord would baptize the apostles with the Holy Spirit not many days from then. And in having been grounded in this message, this good news, these ordinary men would soon be filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit would empower their gospel ministry. The Spirit would spread the kingdom of God on earth in unprecedented ways. And one of the ways that the Holy Spirit worked in Acts is the same way he works today. He testifies to you and me and all creation the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 John 5, 6 says this, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. This is the truth. The Holy Spirit of God testifies to us and to the whole world that the good news of Jesus is true. This is trustworthy. This is the means by which we can have real, sane, powerful, lasting, eternal hope even in the midst of our darkest circumstances. This world is not our home. This isn't the end for Christians. This present darkness is not our eternal lot. These trials and tribulations will not have the last word. Jesus will. So we trust in Jesus, and let's implore others to do the same, because hope is found in no other name, right? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you um, for speaking to us through your word today, for the gospel work that you did in your living, in your substitutionary death, and in your rising from the dead, and your present reign in heaven over all things. Thank you, God, that even though some of these things just seem so lofty, too lofty for us to understand, um, it's a good thing because you are God and we're humans and we can't understand the depths of your wisdom and your righteousness, but you meet us here and you make simple the truth of the gospel so that even children can believe it and understand it. Thank you for that. May we continue daily to trust in this righteousness that we have in you. May we continue daily to, to, to seek fellowship with you, to pray to you, to talk to you, to read the truth of your word so that we can know your mind on these things and that we can claim these promises as our own because you purchased them for us on the cross. Help us to be your lights in the world um, that shine this truth to this dark world that needs it. Help us to love others through our actions and our words. And uh, may we celebrate you and, and worship you well today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.